You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. We continue our journey into examining the personal akhlaq and characteristics of the best creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa In our discussion tonight, we'll examine the emotional aspect of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa The Prophet, as great as he is, he's a human being. The Holy Quran tells the Prophet to remind us of this reality. قُلْ إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُكُمْ Say, I'm a human being like you. The difference is that I have been chosen by Allah to receive revelation. But in the end, don't think that me being a prophet or me receiving revelation makes me somehow unhuman or superhuman. I'm a human. I go through the same emotions that you go through. And that's why he's a role model for us. If the prophet was not a human being, how could you connect to him? How could you relate to him? but he's a human, you go through sadness, he goes through sadness, you experience anger, he experiences anger, all the emotions that you experience, the prophet experiences, the difference between him and us is that the prophet teaches us how to control those emotions in the right path and for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, otherwise the prophet is what? is a human like us, don't forget that, so now, let's examine the emotional aspect of the Prophet Remember that the Prophet was a very important. The Prophet was a very important leader, and a revolutionary leader, who transformed the Arabian Peninsula. Usually, revolutionary leaders, especially at that time. At the time of the Prophet when we look at 7th century Arabia, revolutionary leaders were known to be very tough and to show very little emotion, right? Because they thought that if you showed emotions, this could be perceived as a sign of weakness. It's like you're weak, la'if. You want to act tough. And sometimes due to the nature of the decisions that the leaders would make, they would become hard-hearted. Like if I want to show that I'm a good leader, I have to be aggressive, I have to be tough. Even today, by the way, some people have that attitude, right? We saw it here recently, how some attitudes have shifted towards who is a good president, acting all tough. (laughs) But effective leaders need to show emotion. That's how people will be inspired by you. Today, one thing that people are tired by or tired of is people who act superficial in society. You know, in in business, if you look at the world of business, a lot of what these businessmen say is really sugar-coated, they polish it, they don't show you their real emotions. It's like manufactured, it's like fake. But genuine emotion has a different impact. 
where you feel that the person you're dealing with is genuine, he's human like you, he understands you. Now why is it that we normally publicly we hide our emotions? Normally we try to hide our emotions because we want to be in control, we want to look like we're strong, we're not weak and that we are controlling everything. But in reality if you do that too much, you hide too much emotion, it diminishes your control. Why? Because you send the wrong message to the people that, you know what, I'm not being genuine, you can't really relate to me and people don't really like that. People like to see some emotions coming from the leaders. If they're always stern like that and they're not showing emotions, you know, okay you're tough, but I'm not going to be too much inspired by you. Whereas when they see emotions coming from you appropriately, you remind them that I'm human like you, learn from me, be inspired by me. So you have that beautiful human attachment when you know you have um, proper emotions. One reason why people like populist leaders, you know what populist leaders are? Populist leaders are like the president that we saw. Populist leaders basically go out, speak directly to the people, they don't engage in political correctness, I don't care if this is right for me to say or not, I'll say it anyway. You know they speak passionately, they'll say racist remarks, they'll say what their base wants to hear. If you have bigotries, right, they'll echo them. Why do people like populist leaders? Because they feel like they're genuine. Okay, maybe what he's saying is racist, but yeah, I have racism in me. And he's not someone who's sitting there acting like a hypocrite and trying to be politically correct. No, he says what his mind tell him, tells him to say. He speaks his mind. He speaks from his heart. Even if what he's saying is bad, but at least I like him for being honest. That's why people like populist leaders these days. They're tired of politicians acting, right? To be, to be an effective leader, you shouldn't always be acting. Be yourself. Be genuine with the people. Yes, what is it that hurts leaders? What hurts leaders is an outburst of emotion. And basically this is in psychology, um, you know, called neuroticism. Neuroticism is when suddenly you, sh you, you start displaying anxiety in front of your people or you start raging. When people see that, they lose confidence in you. Is he a really good leader or no? If he's raging like that, if he just exploded like that. So when your emotions go to the extreme, people have less confidence in your leadership. But an appropriate balance is key for effective leadership. So now let's examine the emotions of the Prophet In Bihar al-Anwar, and that is volume 24, page 263, there is a hadith from Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, one of the companions of the Prophet He states that the Prophet, while he was sick and dying, he called on Fatima and he told her, my dear daughter, may the life of my parents be sacrificed for you. 
Look at how the Prophet is just respecting her. May the life of my parents be sacrificed for you. I want you to call your husband Ali. So Fatima sends Imam al-Hasan salam. go and call Ali ibn Abi Talib, he comes. Then when Fatima saw the Prophet in that state by Amir al-Mu'mineen what did she say? She states, I'm going through so much difficulty through your tragedy. So the Prophet told her, Don't worry about me. As you for your father, he'll be fine. After this day, he'll never go through pain because Allah will take him to the Jannah of Barzakh. Then the Prophet states, Ya Fatima, inna nabiya la yushakku alayhi aljayb, wala yukhmashu alayhi alwaj, wala yud'a alayhi bilwaj. Know one thing, that it's not appropriate for anyone to do this on the Prophet, to scratch your face like some Arabs would do. If a loved one would die, to show their severe grief, what would they do? They would scratch and injure their face. And then they would take their clothes and they would rip them. It was a sign of extreme sadness. The Prophet says to Fatima, don't do that. That's not appropriate. No Muslim should react like that when anyone dies. And then the Prophet says something beautifully. Someone may understand from this hadith that you cannot grieve. By the way, today there are some Muslims who think that grieving for the dead is haram. Like even if you just sit in a majlis and cry. The Prophet realized someone may misunderstand his statement. So the Prophet states, What should you say? Say what your father said when his son Ibrahim died. The Prophet had a son from Maria who died when he was about two. He had a son in Medina, he died. This is just a couple of years before the Prophet passed away. What did the Prophet say when his son died? He was seen crying. The Prophet states, The eyes shed tears. Your heart can be in pain. But we don't say that which angers Allah. We don't object to Allah and act crazy and wild. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to have sadness. The Prophet says, Ibrahim, we're sad because you died. See how the Prophet shows sadness over the death of his two-year-old son? Then the Prophet states, وَلَوْ عَاشَ Ibrahim لَكَانَ نَبِيًّا The Prophet says, if it was the plan of Allah to have Ibrahim live after me, he would have been a Prophet. In other words, that's how pure Ibrahim is. Remember, this is the son of Rasulullah Just like Lady Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet was so pure, imagine his son. He would not have been any less than an imam or than a prophet when he's the son of the best of prophets, right? So the prophet in this hadith reminds us of his human side. The prophet didn't act tough when Ibrahim died and he went to the story, no, I'm not going to cry. The prophet cried. His heart was in pain. But what is it that shows he was a mu'min and believer in God? He accepted the tragedy. He thanked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as a believer, that's how you are. 
you grieve, that's okay, you're sad, that's okay. But you don't object to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you accept the outcome from Allah. So see that the Prophet had emotions, he cried for his son. In another hadith in the book of Kafi, volume 3, chapter 262, this is narrated from Imam al-Sadiq from the Prophet It states that when Uthman ibn Mad'un, one of the good companions of the Prophet died, a woman came and she said, laka ya Aba Sa'ib al-Jannah, O Uthman ibn Mad'un, you should be happy that you're going to heaven. You've, you are in heaven now. The Prophet told her, and how do you know he's in heaven? See, you pray for the one who died to go to heaven. You pray for them. But for you to come and make an open statement, he's definitely in heaven. How do you know? Yes, he was a good person, but how do you know? Don't say that. And then the hadith states, when Ibrahim, the son of the Prophet when his son died, his eyes were overflowing with tears. Look at the sadness. And the Prophet stated, the same thing that the Prophet said in the previous hadith. Then the Prophet saw the grave of Ibrahim and that there was basically khalal in it. It was not a proper grave. Maybe it was not dug well. Some parts of it needed to be fixed. So the Prophet with his own blessed hands, he fixed the grave of Ibrahim. And then he said, إِذَا عَمِلَ أَحَدُكُمْ عَمَلًا فَلْيُتْقِن He says, when you do something, do it good. Apparently the grave digger did not, it, did not dig it properly. So the Prophet saying, when you do something, do it well, complete it well. So this hadith also shows the emotional um, aspect of the Prophet that he's a human, he cries like you cry and he grieves like anyone grieves. So it's okay to show sadness in a tragedy, but it must be appropriate, reasonable, and it should not be defying the virtue of patience. Anytime you show something that people say you're not being patient, that's, that's unacceptable. But it's okay to cry. Some people think it's not. The Prophet had sons in Mecca from Khadija who died when they were very young. Abdullah, Al-Tahir, Al-Qasim, yes, in Mecca. No. From those other wives, the only wife he got, a son from is Maria, Ibrahim, and he died when he was two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all of them died. Yeah, subhanAllah. Allah wanted the pride, yeah, all from the nine wives. Allah wanted the progeny of the Prophet to continue from Lady Fatima That was the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the plan of Allah was to have the Prophet to be the last of the Prophets. When the Prophet passed away, no. She was the only surviving child of the Prophet. Before she had, yes. Sisters, yes. Ruqayya, Zainab, she had sisters. But they died during the time of the Prophet. Of course, there's a discussion whether they were her biological sisters or stepsisters. Most scholars believe they were her biological sisters, meaning they were the actual biological daughters of the Prophet from Khadija. 
Some believe, no, they were stepsisters. Not from another wife, no. They were not the Prophet's daughters. Um, they were basically raised by Khadija. They were the nieces of Khadija, but they grew up in the house of Khadija, so the Prophet became like their adopting father. Some scholars believe that. No, they're all older, yes. No, she's the first child after the revelation. She's the first child to be born in Islam. The other children that the Prophet had were born before the Ba'tha, before he became a Prophet. So no, most scholars don't believe she was the only child. She had other siblings. The boys, they died. The girls, they survived. They died in Medina later. But the only one who was alive when the Prophet passed away was Lady Fatima. That's why she was the sole inheritor who inherited the Prophet Here's another example of the Prophet's emotional dealing with his daughter. In the book of Manaqib, this hadith is mentioned from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. He states that Fatima kanat nasi ala Rasulullah She was the dearest person to the Prophet. One day she was praying when the Prophet went to see her. So she heard the voice of the Prophet So she ended her salah. She cut her salah short. Which salah must have this been? Obviously the nafila, the mustahab salah. Because the wajib salah, you can't just cut it. So she came out from her musalla where she'd pray. She gave her salam to the Prophet. He wiped his blessed hands on her head. My dear daughter, how have you been? May Allah bless you. Give us some dinner to eat. Look at the emotional way that the Prophet speaks. In 7th century Arabia, it was probably shameful for a father to show that kind of love for his daughter. They didn't like it, society didn't like it. Don't show emotion to your daughters, it's awkward. Even today, even today, I know fathers who have difficulty showing emotion to their children, even their daughters. They think it's awkward. Hugging their daughter, kissing their daughter, wiping her head, just showing something nice and emotional. The Prophet would do that. See his humane aspect, his human side? He would do that with Lady Fatima And not just because lady, she's Lady Fatima. Sure, she's the most special lady Allah has created. But the Prophet's also an example. He's teaching fathers, show that emotional side with your daughters. It's okay. It's not aib. I know in Arab culture it's aib. It's not aib. It's okay. Here's another hadith in the book of Bihar, volume 43, um, page 40. Abu Tha'laba al-Khushani, he narrates this hadith from the Prophet He states that the Prophet, whenever he would come back from his journey, he would be traveling, the first thing he would do, he would go to the house of Fatima She would stand up, She would hug the Prophet and kiss his forehead. Look at the relationship the Prophet had with his daughter. Amazing emotional relationship. Aisha narrates this hadith. She states that the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he would come back from a battle, 
from war. The first thing he would do, he would go to Fatima and kiss Fatima See how the Prophet loved Fatima. Did this Ummah appreciate that? Did they carry that legacy after the Prophet It's really sad when you remember these scenes from the life of the Prophet Aisha also narrates this hadith. She states that when Fatima would come to visit the Prophet, he would stand up for her from where he would be sitting. He'd kiss her head. Then he would ask her to sit in his seat. Whenever they would see each other, he would kiss her, she would kiss him, then they would sit. My dear brothers and sisters, who does that? Have you seen a king, a president, a leader, just a normal father, that when his daughter enters the room, he stands up and he gives her his seat? Who does that? Seriously, do you know anyone who does that? But this is Rasulullah This is his emotional aspect. Believe me, believe me, if fathers treated their children like this, you would not have problems between parents and children. Because then through your emotional love for your children, you can guide them. When you want something, they'll respect you automatically. When you treat your daughter like that, she'll do whatever you want. Don't think, no, he's spoiling her too much. She's going to be. No, it depends how you treat her. When she sees genuine love from her father, she will have so much respect for her father, she does not want to disappoint him. But this is missing in our families. This hadith demonstrates to us the absolute concern that the Prophet had for Imam Hassan and Hussein. So this hadith is from Abu Sa'id al Khudri. He states that we were in a gathering having a beautiful discussion with the Prophet until the time of Dhuhr came and the Arabs basically at midday they would take a nap. And do you know one of the most healthy naps is midday before Dhuhr. Let's say at 11 a.m. Remember they used to wake up from like 4 or 5 a.m. So they were tired by 11 a.m. At midday, if you sleep 20 minutes, it re-energizes you. Or at 1 p.m., if you sleep for 20 minutes, it re-energizes you for the whole day. Subhanallah, you wake up fresh. <laughs> it's beautiful. This is called qaylula. So Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he states, we were in a discussion until the time of that qaylula came and we saw the Prophet tired. So we got the signal. Okay, let's not bother him. Let's get up. He says, when we got up and we were leaving the room and the Prophet came to leave, we saw Fatima alayhi salam, she was standing over there. And so she was asked by Imam Ali alayhi salam, Fatima, what's the matter? Why are you here? Fatima alayhi salam told Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salam, our two sons, Hassan and Hussein, are missing. I don't know where they are. I thought since morning they were with the Prophet. But now I see that they're not with the Prophet. So the Prophet heard. Imam Ali told Lady Fatima, let's not disturb the Prophet with this. Let's figure it out, right? Because he knew the minute the Prophet hears, anything has happened with Imam Hassan Hussein, khalas. He's not going to sleep. He's not going to rest. He's going to end all activities. So he told her, Fatima, let's not disturb the Prophet. Let's figure it out. The Prophet overheard. 
What? Hassan Hussein, what happened? He came quickly to the door. See, he's showing his emotions over here. You would think a leader who's running society shouldn't act like that. But no, the Prophet, he would rush when he would hear something about his grandchildren. So he came, Fatima, what's bothering you? What's happening? She told him, Ya Rasulullah, Hassan and Hussein are missing. I thought maybe they were with you, but it seems like they're not with you. So the Prophet tells Fatima, go back to your house, me and Ali will find them. Don't burden yourself in trying to go out in the streets, we'll take care of that. So the Prophet tells Imam Ali, you go in one direction, one area of the city, look for them. I'll go in one area, looking for them. Look, this is Rasulullah You know, usually when you have a president and his grandsons are missing, who does he tell to go look for them? He tells his guards, his army, his he sits in his house, not the Prophet. He went out himself looking for them. In any case, they went until they found them in a ha'at. Ha'at is basically a garden, an open garden. They were lost in an open garden under the hot scorching sun. The sun was so burning. Have you gone to Mecca and Medina in summer? Have you gone? Like what season did you go? If you've gone in winter, you realize how hot the sun is. Imagine summer. Like if you go in July, you'll melt under the sun. It's, it's serious <laughs> if you're not used to it. It's like Iraq, yeah. It's like Iraq, like Karbala. If you go in July, you can't walk outside under the sun. If you are not used to that type of weather, you'll fall. I remember um, my maternal grandmother, Allah he used to mention this. When they were in Karbala, they had a classmate, a fellow scholar who had come from Russia. He was studying in Karbala, but he had migrated from Russia to study in the Hawza. He says, he says that four months from May to like October, four or five months, he would not be seen in Karbala, he would go back to Russia. So sometimes they asked him, look, you're wasting all five months, what do you do there? He says, if I stay in Karbala, remember those days there was no AC like there is today, right? He says, if I stay in Karbala during the summer months, I will die literally. I grew up in Russia and uh, it's very cold over here. The heat of Karbala, I can't handle. I'll just faint and fall and die. <laughs> so the Prophet he found them, Hassan and Hussein, hugging each other, trying to block the sun from each other. Imagine two young kids in the middle of an open field under the sun, trying to get protection from the sun. And just imagine that scene, the Prophet saw them. So when the Prophet saw them, he uncontrollably started to cry. You know, have you seen like, when your child is in danger, you just run. You just don't feel what's going around you. So the Prophet just collapsed around them and he started kissing them. Then he carried Hassan on his right shoulder and then Hussein on his left shoulder. Then the Prophet came back. But the ground was so hot, the Prophet would lift one foot and put the other foot. You know, sometimes when it's so hot, you have to do that. That's how hot the ground was. And the Prophet wanted to protect them. Look at the emotional aspect of Rasulullah. 
If you have a grandfather like that, a father like that, believe me, your family will be in goodness. Just showing them that love, that compassion, that kid. So even though the Prophet knows Allah will protect them, and he told Fatima, don't worry, Allah will protect them. But he showed concern. Showing concern, my dear brothers and sisters, is not a weakness. As long as it's rational. Some people become hysteric. No, that's not good. Be composed. Don't become hysterical, but don't be a robot either. Show concern. Once, by the way, I was doing marital counseling, there was an issue. And one problem was that the husband was so calm, so composed, that ticked off his wife. Because she thought he didn't care. Like she's all now, you know, worked up with this news or something that has happened and she comes to him, she's like bursting with emotions and he's so calm. It's okay, don't worry, Allah will take care of it, whatever, you know. Okay, I, we appreciate his calmness and his tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but then I told him to the side, I told him, look, I know you're confident Allah will take care of everything, but show some emotion so your wife doesn't, doesn't think you're careless. Because she thinks you don't care, you're like a robot. So in the beginning, play along with her. Oh wow, did that really happen? And then when she sees that, okay, but Allah will take care of it, fine. Then guide her to calm down. This issue was putting a distance between them. She felt like she's living with a husband who doesn't care about anything. <laughs> See, that's, that's not good. See, the Prophet was not like that. The Prophet knows the universe is in the hands of Allah more than anyone else. He has to be the calmest of people, who cares? Allah will take care of things. But no, the Prophet would show concern. Because if you don't show concern, people think you don't care. The Prophet showed, I care. I am the Prophet, Allah is guiding every one of my steps. But when I see my grandchildren missing, I am going to go out there and look for them myself. Because if I don't, they will say, ah, this negligent grandfather. Don't. Even if you feel confident, don't ever give the indication that you're negligent. It's not good. Show some emotion, it's fine. That's how you, you empathize with others. When people show you emotions, you know, give back some of those emotions. Otherwise, they feel like they just expended all those emotions on you and, you know, they went to waste. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> now we'll conclude with one hadith about the concern of the Prophet for Imam Hussain This is an interesting hadith. This is from Zurara, a number of scholars have considered this as a Sahih hadith from Al-Imam Abu Ja'far Who's Abu Ja'far? Al-Imam Al-Baqir So in this hadith, Al-Imam al-Sadiq states that the Prophet once went to Salah, went to the prayer. Imam Hussain had not spoken yet. Let's say he was two years old. It's natural for a two-year-old child to start speaking, right? Imam Hussain according to this hadith had not spoken yet. So people were under the impression that he had a problem. Maybe he couldn't speak. Maybe he had a speech impairment that stopped him from speaking. So there was that concern. 
So the Prophet left to the Salah and he was carrying Imam al Hussein on his shoulder. He told the companions to form lines behind him so they can pray Jama'ah. Then he put Imam Hussein to his right. So he put him with him. That's how much he loved him. Imagine a two-year-old boy with the Prophet in Salah. The Prophet started Allahu Akbar. As soon as the Prophet said Allahu Akbar, Imam Hussein said Allahu Akbar. This was the first time that the people had heard Imam Hussein say a word. When the Prophet heard Imam Hussein say Allahu Akbar, he said Allahu Akbar the second time. Allahu Akbar. Fakabbar al Hussein. Imam Hussein said Allahu Akbar. The Prophet did that seven times. The hadith states from that day it became sunnah. When you're doing takbirat al ihram, one of them is the takbirah, and there are six mustahab takbiras in honor of Imam Hussein speaking and saying Allahu Akbar. Look at the concern of the grandfather. His grandson was not speaking. Now that he spoke the first time publicly, what happened? The Prophet wanted this to be so memorable for everyone. The Prophet kept saying Allahu Akbar. Imam Hussein says Allahu Akbar. He repeats after him just so he can hear him saying more takbiras. So he says, Jarat bidhalika sunnah. The Prophet did the seven takbiras. One of them is the wajib, takbirat al-ihram. The other six is mustahab. Today in our fiqh, by the way, it's mustahab to do this. When you start any salah, do six takbiras. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Six, the last one, takbirat al-ihram, the wajib one, Allahu Akbar and start your salah. And if you remember from the hadith of Mi'raj, we also mentioned that when the Prophet went to the Mi'raj and he saw the glory of Allah, he also did seven takbiras. So this is mustahab. It's a very interesting hadith to show the status of Imam Hussein and Allah wants to tie everything to the Ahlul Bayt. Even when you, you, you do your salah, you remember the Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon him.